in these stories, we, uh, we learn a lot of amazing lessons. This episode of Cell TV, you're going to hear an incredible story about a doctor on death's door. What he's learned that we all need to learn as well. But I'll give you a little tip. He learned a lot of differences between the paleo diet and how that helped him, but how it may have actually led to some things uh, that caused his diagnosis, which you'll hear about. He learned a lot about ketones, and he learned, and so will you, a lot about the carnivore diet. You know what that is? Eating all meat. It's not what you think, and there's a right way to do it. But it all led, really, to diet variation. But anyways, interesting, interesting show. We even get into the bacteria, the oral microbiome, and its effect on the gut and the gut's effect on it. And he has some great advice there, too. Man, this is a show I promise you you're going to want to share. You're definitely going to want to stay tuned this episode of Cell TV. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome Dr. Al Dannenberg, who is a periodontist who spent 44 years of his career incorporating ancestral nutrition and lifestyle in his leading edge practice. What makes his story so interesting, however, is what happened after he retired. Dr. Al has a very unconventional cancer story, which he will share with you today. From his positive attitude to his integrated protocols, you will learn all about how he navigated his diagnosis of incurable bone marrow cancer and what his status is now. I know this story will leave you nothing short of inspired. So let's get started and welcome Dr. Al and of course, Dr. Pampa. Welcome. Thank you, Ashley. That was really nice. I should have written it myself. <laughs> that was perfect. I love it. Oh. Well, Dr. Al, thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, you uh, and I spoke some time ago now and, uh, Dr. Jerry Curatola actually brought us together and said, hey, yes. let's interview him. <laughs> so, yes, he's a good guy. Uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that so much. And, you know, there's so many reasons why you're on this show today and so many reasons why I hope people share this episode with people because, number one, uh, you have an amazing, uh, amazing attitude despite mm -hmm. the diagnosis that was given to you of death, we'll talk about that in 2018. Sure. Uh, we have a lot of proof that that didn't happen, uh, as fact that you're here today. So um, <laughs> we're, we're gonna talk about that. Um, but no, really, I mean, it's, it's more than just the diagnosis. When people hear your story, uh, my gosh, I, most people would have given up. So there's a story of hope here. But also, you're one that dug into the research. One of the topics that I wanna dig into today as well is the carnivore diet, which, you know, you've, been, you've done paleo for many, many years, the paleo diet, seven years at least, but, you know, ancestral diets uh, for some time. You recently went into ketosis. We'll talk about the difference on the show of paleo diet and ketosis and what you felt is the difference. And then the big difference of the carnivore diet, what it is, and why you feel it's one of the pieces of the puzzle for cancer. And yet, people would argue perhaps the opposite. Now, I can't wait to bring out this interview because there's a lot of controversy <laughs> over these topics. That's why I threw sure. it out right at the beginning. Right, sure. let's, let's start with your story, Al. Uh, you know, let, let's start with that 2018 diagnosis. You know, that was the diagnosis, but after you tell that, then I, I want you to, my next question is gonna be the obvious because I ask it on this show. What, what, 
do you think led to that diagnosis? But sure. tell the story first. So the story is interesting only because I have felt amazingly healthy. I mean, I was what I would have called the 71-year-old poster boy for a primal diet and lifestyle. Um, I was exercising. I was obviously eating very well. Paleo, it, uh, when I started seven years ago, I was 35 pounds heavier than I was by the age of 71. Um, actually, I had a stroke at the age of 59. Doctors told me I um, needed to be on seven medications for the rest of my life. That didn't make sense. I tried to investigate other healthy areas of lifestyle. I just went to the wrong sources like the American Cancer Society, you know, the, the traditional stuff that I thought could give me answers, they didn't give me answers. But I was very um, moved by a course that I got, took at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health that was on nutrition for healthcare professionals. It was a five-day course, but it was on primal nutrition. And I was around uh, 66 years old when I did that course. And I didn't realize anything about this topic. So I started paleo at that time. And amazingly, it changed my life. I dropped the weight. I got off all seven medications. I felt good. I had lots of energy. And again, I thought I was a poster boy for this um, at the age of 71. And I was doing lectures around the country. I was actually at um, Paleo FX doing a seminar in April, 2018. And generally I walk all the time. So when I go to the airport and I'm in Charleston, South Carolina to get to Austin, Texas, everywhere I have to go. I have to go through Atlanta, it's a big airport. Generally I walk from concourse to concourse unless my flights are really tight. So I had this bag on my shoulder as I walked from Concourse A, B, C, wherever it was. And by the time I got to the plane, my shoulder was aching. And I thought, I must have pulled a rotator cuff or whatever. Went to the lecture, did my stuff. It was achy, but it wasn't incapacitating. Came home, got a little worse. And then April, May, June, July comes through and it never really healed completely. It went from my shoulder to my back and then to my chest and just that didn't sound like a muscle pull. So I went to see my physician, general physician, and uh, he said, yeah, you got something going on. Brilliant, right? I, I told him that. And then, so he took some blood work and he did basic blood work. What was interesting is the only abnormal finding was an elevated C-reactive protein. Generally, my C-reactive protein was below 0.5. It was four to five. Some people say it's normal, but that, that to me is not normal at all. Yeah, and, and he did say he felt, obviously, there's a, some kind of systemic inflammation, but he couldn't be determined if it was acute or chronic, didn't, couldn't determine where it was coming from. You know, it's only a good biomarker for inflammation. So we did an MRI. When we did the MRI, he called me and he said, Al, and I've known him for 35 years. I said, he said, Al, do you want to come into the office? We'll discuss it. I'll talk to you over the phone. I said, just tell me what's on your mind. He said, well, I'd be concerned if I were you. I think it's either lymphoma, leukemia, or multiple myeloma. I don't want any of these three doors. I didn't even know what multiple myeloma is. When, when I was in dental school, we had pictures of the skull that had a lot of holes in the skull, and that was called multiple myeloma. I didn't know anything yeah. about this disease. So 
obviously I'm concerned. Um, so we did a CT scan, we called in an oncologist, we found a soft tissue mass on the side of my spine, we did a biopsy of that. And it turns out that the diagnosis was IgA kappa, light chain multiple myeloma, with innumerable lytic lesions. In other words, I had holes like Swiss cheese everywhere. Mm. Generally, in multiple myeloma, the diagnosis, there's a lot of different types of multiple myeloma, but one of the ways to diagnose the severity is how many lytic lesions you have. You have one, you have two, you have 10. The radiologist says it was innumerable. They couldn't even count as many. The problem with that is that my skeleton is so fragile, it can't support my weight. Bless me. And, and because of that, I had pathological fractures. And when I went to my doctor, what I had was a um, vertebral fracture. I think it was T3 or something like that. Um, a couple rib fractures, a small fracture in my pelvis. And this is, I'm walking around like this. And my physician said, did you fall down the stairs? Did you, somebody beat you up? I said, no, I, I had no idea that I was in such trouble. Um, from that point on, the, the oncologist told me that my cancer was not curable with conventional methods. He did say he wanted me to start a cocktail of chemotherapy and bisphosphonates and being a conventional oncologist, this is what they do. And I said, that doesn't make sense to me. First, you're telling me I can't be cured. So I'm going to die from this disease. And now you're telling me you're going to poison my body, destroy my immune system, destroy the quality of life that I have to do what? Get into remission and be more miserable and more degenerative. And then the next round of chemotherapy would be more caustic. You know, the reason, this is interesting, I just found this out. The reason cancer patients, when they have chemotherapy infusions, have a port, you know, this little thing that goes into a large vein, is because the chemicals are so caustic that if they go into a normal vein in your arm and it leaks, you'll get necrosis of all of the surrounding tissue. You can't pour, you can't touch this liquid. It is like acid. And you're pouring this into your body, destroying all the DNA, the fast reproducible DNA, hair falls out, you're miserable, and then they're gonna artificially rebuild my immune system. They haven't been able to do anything satisfactory. They're gonna do this artificially. So long story short, I rejected all chemical therapy. I did some research, found a few integrative physicians to help me with my protocol. But for the majority of the uh, research I did, I, I went to PubMed, looked at all kinds of research that was being done and duplicated, not just being done by one guy, duplicated around the world. And I started to pick and choose what made sense to me and put it together. And although they said I was going to have three to five months, or three to six months to live, my oncologist thought I'd be dead by December 2018, I was getting better. Now the chemistries were stable, the holes in my bone never changed, but I felt great. The only thing that happened, which was pretty severe, is I've broken a lot of bones. Mm -hmm. I've broken my right femur in half, um, it had to be repaired. I broke my right humerus in half, it never was set correctly, so I had this 
extra angle in my humerus. It looks like I have a huge bicep. I can really impress women on my right side, but not my left side. And then um, I had another fracture in my left femur, but not, it wasn't a, another fracture through and through, and another vertebral fracture, compression fracture. So each time I had this, it was terrible. Um, but I recovered well, and I do have this great attitude, I think, and I feel that my unconventional therapy has extremely dampened this disease to give me a level playing field without being in remission. I've never been in remission. Yeah. So I have a, this protocol that includes a very healthy diet that recently I've changed. We'll talk about that. And the other thing is my gut microbiome is critical. So I, I really, I think I have an excellent uh, control of my gut. Um, I enhance my immune system with um, some er herbal extracts. I do uh, pulse electromagnetic field therapy, which supports soft tissue healing and actually osteoporosis lesions in the bone. Um, I have a product that I use that's called Salvestrol that has the ability to react with a type of enzyme that is only produced or in abundance is produced in cancer cells that reacts with this um, enzyme to destroy the metabolites, destroy the cancer cells. Um, and I've just started some immunotherapy that is very specific for a protein on the surface of my malignant plasma cells that has been very effective for me. So um, I'm, I'm doing well, but so, look, this look, is a crazy And we'll talk about some journey. of those things, obviously. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so let, let's, let's back up. You know, one of the things that you said, okay, you, you were doing the paleo diet, you lost uh, 30 pounds. Now, one of the things that I've learned over the years is when people lose a lot of weight, they also lose a lot of toxins when they lose the weight, which can create new problems. Um, do you think, and we'll talk about you know, where you think this all started in a moment, do you think that the dumping of the fat could have been, then therefore toxins could have been part of how you ended up here? Not that that wasn't a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think toxic load is, is the problem. Yeah. I think our bodies are very well designed to deal with most toxins in the environment, even True. mercury. I agree. Uh, as long as it's not overloaded, as That's long true. as the whole system is working effectively. So what we'll get to is what I thought my initiating factors were to really put me over the edge. And then I'm living like you are with um, toxins in the air, glyphosate in the food, um, chemicals that you think are okay in foods like preservatives and emulsifiers that are not, dirty electromagnetic fields that are damaging our microbiome and DNA. I mean, there's so many stress. God, I understand stress really well. I don't cope with it well, but you know, this is part of what, who I am. So stress is a big undiscovered by the general public irritant to our overall health. Um, so th there's so many other factors, you're correct. And although I didn't lose the 35 pounds quickly, it was over a period of seven-ish years. 
and it was slow, you're right. The toxins are going to pour into my body and it's so going to overload it, a bit. Where do you think you got the toxins? Well, <laughs> the original? Yeah. So I think dental school was my um, initiator. And here's the reason why. Uh, plasma cells are very susceptible to uh, low-dose radiation, ionizing radiation. And that is what a dental x-ray is. Mm. So when I was in dental school, um, four years of dental school, two years of graduate periodontal training, there were, in my clinic, the way it was set up, there were little, four little modules, and each module of dental student had their own x-ray machine. And we had like 120 students. It was a big class. A lot of x-ray machines all over the place. And I am sure that there were a lot of times the x-ray machines were on, angled in the wrong direction. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. You know, you can't feel or smell or, or detect radiation when you walk by it. Right. So, and we didn't have tags. I don't, you know, we didn't have any radiation badges. It just wasn't done in those days. And so, so I think I was exposed. It takes one malignant cell to not die properly to become a very virulent malignancy if yep. other things are in play. So I think that's one of the reasons. The second reason is that uh, we were taught, and I'll mention something else about that in a moment, but we were taught in those days to play some algam restorations, which are mercury restorations called silver re restorations by lay people. And these mercury rest uh, restorations, we took free mercury and put it in a powder and mixed it up. And then we took this glob of material, put it in a squeeze cloth, squeezed the cloth so the excess mercury balls got off of the, uh, the, the amalgam. We literally tossed the little balls on the floor. Everybody was doing it. Everybody was doing this. Is 1970, 72 wow. time frame. The dental school was the most toxic facility all over the country because oh. every dentist was doing that. So the free mercury is vaporizing and everybody's getting into it. But we played with mercury in our hands like kids play with Play Doh. So I, this, I, want to point out, I want to point out to people listening because they're going to be saying, well, gosh, I mean, aren't, why aren't all these people sick? Look, I, the dental field right now is the sickest profession of all Correct. professions. And we can line up and look at all the different diseases. But so uh, to your point, you aren't the only one poisoned. Correct. Um, in my neighborhood in Charleston and the surrounding area, I know four dentists within the last three to four years that have died from glioblastoma. That is a huge number in a small community of dentists. Yeah. There was a study that I used to research. I wrote a paper on why I think I developed um, this multiple myeloma. There was a study that was done a few years ago that showed the cohort of dentists my age, in other, the, in other words, the group of 65 to 75 year old dentists now um, were more risky and the prevalence of multiple myeloma was higher than the general male population of that group. 
So there's got to be something to what I've just explained. I think it's either and or the, the radiation from the X-ray machines and or the mercury poisoning that we got in different doses over a long period of time. And of course we react differently, but this is how I react. So I think that's the start. And then unbeknownst to me, I went with my life. It wasn't a healthy lifestyle. And, and that's why I had a stroke at the age of 59, I guess. And, and the toxins in the environment were building up. I didn't know anything about it. When I went to dental school, no one teaches anything about nutrition other than what is vitamin B and what is vitamin A. And that's, that's yeah. the only thing that we learn. And the medical profession is totally ignorant. And so I am going on my merry way, have a stroke, try to figure out what's going on. No one has an answer until I go to this wonderful course at the Kropalo Center for Yoga and Health. And that started my brain really working over time to figure out where the knowledge is. And once I felt I learned, I was, I was as nerdy as you can be. I was digging into the research, figuring out what's going on, and I made a difference in myself, and I incorporated in my practice and put it to work with my patients and lifestyle changes. And the people that actually accepted that got better. Now, you, you know, I didn't, I, I'm a conventionally trained periodontist. I was in a conventional periodontal office. So people were not walking in to see me because I was a nutritional periodontist as I later became known. So I would say maybe three to 5% of my patients even listened to what I said. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people are not that proactive unless they are in a state of a life-threatening situation. And sadly enough, they may become proactive and sometimes it's too late. Yeah. Yeah, no, to your point. But let's let's move the conversation to what you've done. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, detox is an important role here, but you know, let's talk about what people, you know, really can do right now. And and so much is focused on diet. You know, this has been a passion of your study, obviously, even before the diagnosis. So yes. let's start there because I opened it up with that. You know, paleo diet was what you were accustomed to. You know, that I believe what you said. I, you know, that that alone, um, you know, in some ways was, uh, kept you from dying right away. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, but in some ways the weight loss could have put toxins out into the, uh, uh the, the body too. So an irony there. Um, so tell us where you went from the paleo diet. Tell us what worked, what didn't, what you learned. Let's start right there. And then we'll, well get in. Well, the I, I, I think so I learned a lot from the paleo diet because I really removed the, major offending foodstuffs that are contaminated in our society. Yeah. So yeah. the grains yep. um, definitely went. And the grains not only metabolically were a problem because they did what they did with the, the, the gut microbiome and the membrane of the gut, but also the fact that they were damaged with glyphosate because I was not understanding organic yet. Yeah. Um, so glyphosate was a huge factor and still is a factor. And, and let me just remind new viewers, glyphosate is the chemical that's in Roundup. If you watch TV now, you see you know, glyphosate <laughs> causes, right? It's, it's 
known cancer causer. And, right, and it's like they just figured it out, but the research goes yeah, for decades before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and that, now people actually believe it because there's billions of dollars being awarded. But of okay, course. so glyphosate's that chemical that they're spraying on most of our food supply, which we know makes other toxins more toxic, allows things to cross into the brain, into the body, passing the blood brain barrier and other barriers. So, okay, so. Go ahead. And it also destroys the microbiome in the soil right. so that the plants are not able to absorb the nutrients that the microbiomes would have actually created. And then, of course, the residue. <laughs> yeah. And the residue is there and it is uh, not destroyed and it, it gets into our gut. It passes the placental barrier. It gets into the fetus. Babies are born with glyphosate um, factors that are significant. So it, it's really a problem. And the other thing is, Glyphosate is sprayed. So there can be a farm that is organic 10 miles down the road. And if the wind is blowing the wrong way, that spray, it doesn't take how many, that many parts per billion to contaminate. It's a very potent drug and it's used all the time. So that, as well as the other chemicals that are on the plants that are getting into the surface and getting into our bodies, so all of that, I eliminated as best as I could. Right. And then of course, the sugars. So the grains and the added sugars, not the sugars that are in the natural fruits, so to speak, because you know there's nothing terribly wrong with eating blueberries, but there is something terribly wrong with eating blueberries with powdered sugar on it. So the added sugars are the real problem. So the two of those were my biggest um, factors that I eliminated. And then of course, with the paleo diet, you're, you're eliminating the legumes, or you're, you're eliminating um, some of the, uh, all the uh, processed vegetable oils, you're eliminating, sometimes if you're going an autoimmune route, you're eliminating the nightshades. So there's a lot of irritants that are coming out of the diet that has met, or coming out of the food supply to make that diet really effective for me. And that's what I believe worked really well. Plus the lifestyle change. So the lifestyle change, had a lot to do with exercise, sleeping uh, restoratively, exercising efficiently with high intensity interval training. I was really doing that as well as some aerobic training and weight, uh, body weight training. I was into the entire routine and feeling great, never knowing that there was this little thing growing inside of me that was going to pop out in a very, um, ugly way. Yeah. Here I am. All right. So then you got the diagnosis. What did you uh, change? So I changed the, I, I went very strict paleo, meaning that I went um, on the autoimmune part of the diet and I didn't cheat whatsoever. So, you know, there's a thought process where you can eat um, a diet 85 to 95% of the time and cheat 5, 10, maybe 15% of the time and get pretty good results. Well, I may have cheated a little bit when I was not sick, but once I got this diagnosis, I was 100% right on and eliminated all the nightshades. And, and I thought I was doing really well with the diet part. And then I included supporting my microbiome and my gut and with a variety of other products that I take on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did some more research. Actually, I listened to a, a podcast with Mark Sisson and Dr. Paul Saladino. 
So Dr. Paul Saladino is a physician. He's very into the carnivore diet. He just wrote a book that's coming out. I think he's told me that it might be out by the end of this month or beginning of February called the, the um, carnivore code, which I think is going to be amazing because he's really geeky with the science. And that's what I really want. I want proof of what is going on. Um, so that kind of got me started with the uh, concept. And then I was looking on the internet, which is the source of all great information, right? So I was looking and seeing all these people talking about the carnivore diet and this and that, and they're still, but they're eating bacon from conventional sources. And, you know, there's a lot of junk meat that they're eating and they're just eating meat. They're not even understanding organs. They don't understand bone broth. They don't understand a lot of the nuances that make the work, the, the carnivore diet work. So, so let's just be, be clear. I, okay. So the paleo yes. diet, you know, it's paleolithic in the sense that it's, you know, meats, there's no legumes, there's no grains, there's no refined sugar, no dairy. Okay. So there's that diet. And then keto, which is, you know, a little based on healthier fats. It's not paleo in the sense that there's, you know, some dairy, et cetera. Um, available with keto, but it's a and higher of course, fat reducing diet. the carbohydrates to maybe less than 50 grams or something like that. Right, yeah. exactly. It's so a restricting carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And now there's uh, carnivore, which is meat and fat. Um, that's why when defined meat and fat, carnivore, meaning not any vegetables, zero folks. Right, no plants. Right. So, I mean, by conventional standards, um, I think. Uh, if you asked a hundred doctors, a hundred out of a hundred would say, that's bad for you. The media, that's bad for you. A yeah. hundred, uh, 99 out of a hundred people would say that's bad for you. There's no yeah. vegetables and fruit. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> so let me tell you where my research led me. Um, so interestingly, it's loaded with plant nutrients and here's how it happens. Ah. These wonderful animals eat plants. The cattle graze on grass, and sheep, and, and pigs, and all these animals are herbivores, or they're big herbivores, um, or, or big in the plant world. So they're eating all this stuff, and they have a system in their body to digest the toxins more efficiently than we do. And all their nutrients, now we're talking pastured animals, not conventionally raised animals that cattle are raised on grain. I'm talking about cattle that are pastured and raised in grass and other things like that. And let, let so, me use one example, Al, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, for example, so many people are vitamin K2 deficient, which yes. is how you absorb calcium, et cetera, because they don't eat grass-fed anything. And that's where you get it is grass. So a cow eats grass, which contains K1. They, not us have the ability to take that and make it into K2, which humans Very efficiently, need. yes. Very efficiently, right? Yes. So therefore we get this. No, okay, that's one example, right? And uh, obviously we can get vitamin D very similar to these ways, but th that really to some degree even happens to minerals. They take a very um, non-ionized uh, mineral and other nutrients, they eat it and arguably make it more absorbable for a human. Right. So your point is, is we're getting vegetables in the meat and the fat that we're eating. Yes. Or at least and, the and, and, would in a, and in a more biologically available form. So less concentration is still much more efficiently um, effective in our body. So 
And it's not in the meat so much, the muscle meat, it's in the fat and the organ products. So we're talking about heart and liver and kidney and pancreas and brain and things that are not on the typical plate of the average American consumer, even the average healthy organic American consumer. consumer. So um, the carnivore diet will only work if you're getting all of these and eating them when you're hungry, not forcing feeding. Which, which by the way, is, is another point though, because people that move into the carnivore diet, especially done properly to your point, uh, they lose of their hunger. I mean, meaning that they really don't eat and have a need to eat as much, definitely not Correct. as often, which I argue is one of the, you know, cellular changes that takes place. And it's place very positive. Yes. Yeah, very positive. It's very positive. It, it forces you into intermittent fasting because you're just not hungry. So, it, and, and it's a more efficient way to, like you said, um, for longevity, for mitochondrial uh, health, for a lot of things. So, um, there are ways to get these organ meats, if you don't want to eat them by preparing them, you can get desiccated organ complex, um, a desiccated um, bone marrow. As a matter of fact, there was is a company called Enviromedica that just put these products on their website. Those products are actually from New Zealand. They're grass-fed cattle. And I'm sure there are many other sources for desiccated um, organ products, but I'm very impressed with that. And, and that's something that I use as a supplement. Although I do eat liver and I do eat skin um, from chicken uh, wings. I eat uh, um, sweetbreads, um, which are either pancreas or thymus, depending on what they're getting from cattle. But I am eating organs, but not a huge variety. But I can get what I don't get in the real organ meats that I'm eating from these desiccated products. And I think that's very important for me to get, have a, a and functional And actually can add some of those diet. sources to the show notes here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've actually interviewed some others on some of these products. Oh, I'm sure there are many other companies. They're I'm, so I'm just good. telling you. I mean, they're, they're so good to your point. So, okay, tell me and tell our viewers and listeners how you felt from the paleo diet to the keto diet to the carnivore diet. Kind of take us through because, sure. you know, not many people have done it perfectly with all the diets you have you've yes. done your homework so talk about your experience with all three and the difference my biggest problem was with the the um the um paleo diet because i went with from a standard american diet so anytime you start with the standard american diet no matter what you're going to do you're going to have problems for two to three weeks end the story just deal with it so you're going to feel flu-like symptoms sure. achy joints stomach aches, but cravings, crazy cravings. I'll give you an example. Um, there is a fast food restaurant that makes chicken sandwiches and they make a ch chicken sandwich on a bagel. And it is the most delicious sandwich I've ever had. So when I was eating a standard American diet, I would have two or three of those sandwiches in one gulp. I, I didn't even realize I ate that much, but it was just delicious. So when I started paleo, that sandwich was not on my plate anymore. Well, I craved those sandwiches. I could feel it. My throat ached if I didn't eat a sandwich like that. So there are cravings that I had that were difficult, but I, 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 I didn't succumb to the craving. 
And I had a lot of um, headaches. I had a lot of uh, the aching that I told you about. But the interesting thing is, do that for two to three weeks, and it almost ends as quickly as it started, yeah. and it goes away. And I've never had a craving like that. I still, if I smell something that is good, I say, that smells good, but I don't have a desire to eat it. The addiction to the carbohydrates, as you know, is more difficult to break than addiction to narcotics. Mm -hmm. And there are tests that have been done on, on animal models that show that rats prefer the carbohydrates rather than the heroin. So it's kind of interesting and it, it's a difficult thing to get over. Once I got over that, it was clear sailing. I had no problem. But the first three weeks, I would say, was the most difficult. And then over time, I perfected the way I would eat um, to the point where I got involved with intermittent fasting. And I currently do intermittent fasting. My last meal of the day is no later than, by the time I'm done, is no later than 7.30 or so in the evening. And I generally don't eat until 12, 1, 2 o'clock when I'm hungry. Now that I've cha changed my diet, um, sometimes I'm just not that hungry at all. And I'll eat maybe one or maybe two meals a day, and that's it. And the amount of food that I'm eating is not much, but the density of the protein and fat that I'm eating on a carnivore diet is very satiating. And, and I want to point something out. You were paleo that many years, but uh, you had mentioned, like, in it, though, I was really never in ketosis. Um, I never, when I checked, I didn't do it on a regular basis. When I checked my urine, and like we mentioned, I never did blood ketone uh, tests. I just did the urine test. I never saw a change in the color of the strip. So I was not doing that diet to become or yeah. go into a state of ketosis. And, I, and, and so I never really pursued it. Um, I never really got into the ketogenic diet because I really jumped right into the carnivore diet, passing through that little phase. And of course, I've been on the carnivore diet for so long, like I think it's my eighth day now. So I got to tell you, I'm not an expert, but I can tell you, I, I did get into ketosis as of yesterday, which is day seven. So day one through six, I was not in ketosis, checked my urine constantly and automatically it just jumped to the moderate to uh, um, not heavy, but between the moderate to heavy level of ketones on a urine strip. So I know that I'm in ketosis. And one of the things that I feel is um, a good energy level. Um, with all the stuff that I'm doing and, and dealing with my cancer, I think I have had good energy, but I feel better energy now. Yeah, and I want to point out to people, in the beginning, the urine ketones will rise because you're making ketones. But eventually, your body starts getting very efficient with them using them and you'll see the urine ketones drop. However, your blood ketones will Correct. be up. So the carnivore diet, you are going to force your body into seeing a lot of ketones, which are incredible for you. They reset your DNA. Uh, they help your microbiome. They help your brain. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons that these ketones are healing. Uh, so let me, let me just mention the reason that I jumped into carnivore is really for cancer. Although I love the concept of the carnivore diet because it eliminates, especially yes, the lectins. What did you find with that? Why is the carnivore diet so good for cancer? What was your finding? Yeah, so this is pretty interesting. And there's, not, there's no long-term study here. There are no 
uh, studies that are in the works that are clinical trials in, in a controlled environment. So anybody and everybody could say there's no proof. And okay, I agree with that. But I'm measuring my life in months, not years. So all the research I say, I read says, in 10 years, we're going to know that the carnivore diet is good or bad for cancer. Well, I'm going to be long dead in 10 years, probably. That's not my story. My story is, and I want everybody to understand, I am not suggesting anybody go on the carnivore diet for, for cancer treatment or any treatment. I'm not recommending anybody even to attempt it. I'm just telling you what I'm doing and the reason I'm doing it. I'm excited about it. There are several studies that you can find that are peer-reviewed in that they were in um, peer-reviewed medical journals, but they're only case studies. So there's no, no control groups. There's not, not a bunch of people being investigated. Two individuals in two different studies, one had a malignancy of the soft palate, 60-year-old woman, did not elect to do chemotherapy or radiation therapy for the same reasons, I guess, that I didn't. And it would have killed her theoretically in two to five years. That was the prognosis. She went on a strict ketogenic diet, I mean, a strict carnivore diet that was um, regulated by her phys physician team, a team of people. And within 20 months or 20 months after the study ended, there was remission that they could see on the uh, x-rays that they used to identify the tumor size. So they felt that this woman was in remission and the lesion was gone in the mouth. That was impressive. No proof that the carnivore diet is a diet for cancer, but it was impressive. Then there was a gentleman who I think is 27 years old in Australia, who had a, again, a very malignant brain tumor that um, was not responding to medication and chemotherapy. And he was told that he was gonna die in weeks, went on a very strict carnivore diet, so strict that he was eating a variety of organ meats raw. Um, that's not necessarily my recommendation, but that's what he was doing and literally cured after five years, he is totally in remission. There is a hospital in Australia that is doing research and clinical trials on his protocol right now. So. Is that proof positive? Of course not. There are more case studies than these two, of course. I just didn't write them up in my article, but that started me on the, um, the, the journey to investigate it. And when I listened to the podcast, like I told you with uh, Mark Sisson and Dr. Um, Saladino, um, I, I just got more excited about it and then went into the fact that the plants have these toxins, these anti-nutrients, especially oxalates, that are a significant problem that most people don't even know about. There's a woman- uh, There's phytates, oxalates. I mean, yes, all of these yes. plants yeah. produce them to protect themselves from insects and other right. Uh, things, yeah. Right, that's their immune system that works effect effectively because it destroys the gut and the microbiome of these animals so that they get sick and die and they don't want to eat or, or, or they're repelled not to eat these plants. Um, so these chemicals, sometimes they can be eliminated by cooking. A lot of times they may not be, but we don't know. But 
the damage could be ongoing and cumulative over years, not just all, all of a sudden. And the carnivore diet eliminates them. If there was nothing other than the fact that it is a ideal elimination diet, that would be a fantastic diet. You could start with carnivore and then reintroduce anything and everything that you want and see how you're doing. Um, that's not the way I'm going. I'm going full carnivore to see how it affects the progression of my cancer. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I had studied the, uh, the American Indians for a while. I was fascinated, uh, some of which because I lived here and became fascinated in Utah and visited Wyoming where, you know, looking at the different tribes. You know, in the winters, they would be on a carnivore diet. The cherished meat was the organs, by the way. Uh, yeah. That was really what they ate the most of on their carnivore diet. So it, it wasn't what people thought. The, uh, the organ meat was the most cherished. That's what they really tried to, you know, get um, from the animals and, and store up. And of course, you know, the, the different fats were the cherished parts, not as much the muscle. So, you know, when you look at other ancient tribes, one of which I visited in Africa, and also the Hunza people, they would go through times where they were in a carnivore diet. Now, in my book, uh, Beyond Fasting, I make the argument for this, um, where these times to reset our microbiome, to reset our DNA, to reset, you know, there is a certain detox that happens during these times. So I believe personally, Al, and, and you may believe differently, but you know, that just periods of these times is all oh, I think need. it's absolutely correct. And it's possibly tied into this hormetic effect where yes. you throw a lot of stuff in one direction and then in another direction and it shocks your body. That's, my, to, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, I believe and that's I, the and I think the that's absolutely shocks the body and that's what forces the microbiome to change, which creates Correct. more diversity. So right. I believe that one of the worst things people do is stay on the same diet. I believe adding in a carnivore diet for some periods of time will change your world. And I and think, you can... I was going to say, I think it answers the people out there going, what about the, you know, the Gerson diet and, you know, the all vegetables and it helps because diet change is magic in itself. And you know, what you just said is very, very vital for people to understand too. And that is, there is the standard American diet, which is junk. And it's created the chronic disease, which is at 60% of US adults today, or 70%, 60% of the adults die from a chronic disease. So it is terrible. And I will tell you that periodontal disease is a chronic disease. Right. And the prevalence of chronic periodontal disease is amazing. Gingival inflammation, bleeding or redness in the gum is a disease. There are studies that show that 93% of the adult US population yeah. has gingivitis. And then the other study that was done several years after that, one study 2007 and the other maybe 2014, I'm not sure of the dates, the big periodontal study, which is um, more infection and passing from gingivitis to periodontitis, meaning it's just not just bleeding of the gums, but it's damage to the bone structure yeah. of the jaw. That's at 47% for the average. And then if you're 65 years or older, it jumps to 70%. These are epidemic proportions. And these are chronic diseases related actually to the gut microbiome 
that changes the mouth. It doesn't, it, it's not the mouth that gets the gut infected, it's the gut that gets the mouth infected, oh, and then it goes way, back and forth. Yeah, I was just gonna say, because when people have cavitations, infected root canals, these things, then it can go the other way. This not then only affects the other way, but everywhere. And, that, and, and, and what, what I profess is that all chronic disease starts in the gut, and it like a, the center of a wheel, and then the spokes move out. And along the continuum of these diseases that are related to the compromised immune system from the gut dysbiosis and the chronic systemic inflammation, that's part of the gut dysbiosis, it travels the body and every organ system could be affected based on their genetic predilection or predilection and periodontal disease is one of them. Once it's in the mouth, it's more obvious. You can't see the gut so well, and a lot of the tests from the gut is, is not that, they're not that good, but the mouth is very obvious, at least if it's a trained professional. And then they say, you've got this gum disease, it's gonna cause cardiovascular disease, which is true, but that's not the only reason. If you only treat the mouth and not the gut, you'll still have cardiovascular disease. It may have less prevalence because you have a lot of infection in the mouth that's spreading through the body in three ways. It's going, like you said, cavitations, infections that are embedded in bone from poorly extracted teeth, failing root canals. That's true, but it can spread in one of three ways. Three, um, through the um, uh, sheaths of the nerves, which I believe mm. is related to the meridians. Um, it can yeah. go through the lymph tissues, which a lot of people don't understand, but that gets into the blood system. And then it can certainly pour into the blood system directly, just like gut dysbiosis can get into the bloodstream di di directly. So once that happens, it can go anywhere and everywhere also. But the big problem in periodontal disease is one of the very virulent bacterium called P. gingivalis. And it's not just the bacteria that causes periodontal disease. There's several bacterium, bacteria, but this has a biofilm that surrounds it that doesn't allow the immune system to penetrate. And then it becomes an autoimmune disease, which is interesting. And the disease goes from gingivitis, which is just pure inflammation, to periodontitis, where the infection is damaging the bone. And then it pours into the bloodstream and the remnants of the cell wall, which is um, LPS, like, help me here, <laughs> LPS. Uh, yeah, so it gets into the bloodstream. It's highly. Um, what was that? The bacteria? People yeah, the bacterial wall. Of, no, of no, the, no, the bacteria that you were saying it's an anaerobe that you were saying. Yeah, it's, it's called uh, P. gingivalis. Porphyromonas yeah. P. Uh, gingivalis. And it is yeah, no, it, one it, of the most virulent of the yeah, bacteria. And, it, and it's horrible. So it builds up these biofilms. We see it when we get, you know, go into these cavitations and people have it. It has the ability to go systemic, get into yeah. the gut. I mean, these things into the bone, as you mentioned, into the nerves. How do you kill it? Here's the interesting thing. First of all, a lot of dentists want to kill the bacteria in the mouth. So they'll use antimicrobial mouthwashes and preparations on a daily basis, which is extremely unhealthy because dental plaque, which dental plaque, which is a biofilm, is one of the healthy biofilms in the body. Absolutely. You don't want to remove healthy dental plaque. 
Right. And that's going to be a stinger for a lot of people because they don't under, these are bacteria. You got to kill well, them. No, I, I've interviewed Jerry Curatola, who you know personally. Certainly, and he agrees diet. with me. Yep. So you go to a dental office and the hygienist wants to clean your teeth and they want to put this vegetable dye on your teeth that will stain all dental plaque red. And they'll want to scrub that dental plaque until there's no, no red. That's like walking outside with no clothes and saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm protected. You're not protected. You have no clothes on. The, the dental plaque the, will do three things. It actually is the gatekeeper for minerals to get into the root surface of the tooth. So the saliva has all these minerals. It gets into the, the dental plaque and the dental plaque kind of puts the minerals into the root surface to remineralize it as necessary. The dental plaque in its healthy state, in its balanced state, which is maybe 700 or so bacteria, will produce hydrogen peroxide in a variety of com compositions that kill other invading pathogenic bacteria. So it's very protective. And, and th this dental plaque will actually keep the health area healthy. If the dental plaque is removed, or the bacteria in the dental plaque is destroyed, there is no protection to the root surface anymore. There's another interesting thing on the tongue. The tongue has a lot of anaerobic bacteria. It causes much of the bad breath in the mouth. So you can use a tongue scraper or an inverted spoon to get the excess bacteria off and that's, and that's not a problem. But when you use an antimicrobial mouthwash, you kill all of this anaerobic bacteria on the tongue. Well, that anaerobic bacteria has a biological function that takes the night. If you eat leafy green vegetables and other foods that have natural nitrates, it gets absorbed into the bloodstream, 60, 70% get into the saliva. The saliva then pours these nitrates, very biologically active nitrates into the mouth. The anaerobic bacteria on the tongue changes the nitrates to nitrites and you swallow them you don't think about it you just swallow them the nitrates get into your gut and the rest of your system and it produces nitric oxide which is critical for um, cardiovascular health controlling blood pressure there was a paper that was written just a couple years ago by by several cardiologists and it was really for cardiologists and it said if you are putting your patient on blood pressure medication and you're not getting the results that you think you should get, make sure they're not using an antimicrobial mouthwash daily because it's destroying the cycle of the production of nitric oxide, which naturally reduces the blood pressure. So these dentists and physicians that are killing all the bacteria in the mouth with antimicrobials are destroying the bacteria in the tongue. They're literally raising the blood pressure as well as putting the, so, uh, I mean, so the moral of the story is you, 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 don't have to, you don't kill these things. <laughs> daily, daily. Now, if right. you have an acute situation, like anything, you, right. have to, you have to understand what you're trying to do. So yes, you may need to kill everything to get this pathology under control, but you also have to understand that you have to rebuild right away right. the bacteria. So you have to be on healthy supplements to support the gut microbiome that will in turn re restore the mouth microbiome. And they have to be probiotics that resist the stomach acid. And the 
primary probiotics that resist stomach acid are the spore-based probiotics. Yeah, we, we, we'll uh, we talked about those on the show. Yeah, um, Megaspore Biotic, yes, Proflora. excellent one, yeah, Teraflora. Yeah, yeah, the yep. These are all the spore types uh, of bacteria. And they regenerate and germinate in the gut. But the other probiotics work only 50% of the time because the metabolites they make are effective and they're not destroyed by the um, acid in the stomach. And the acid in the stomach is critical. That's the first line of defense for microbes. Um, if we didn't have a low pH in our guts, uh, in our stomach, we'd be eating bacteria and viruses and all kinds of stuff that would really make us sick all the time. That's one of our major sources of stopping potential infections in our yeah. body. Great stuff, Al. Uh, so appreciated. Gosh, so much we could talk about. I, I can't believe the, the time went that fast. But oh my goodness, know, look at that! I know, right? I it, it's remarkable. <laughs> I, I, See, I when a person knows how to interview somebody, time flies. What can I tell you? It's a great interview. Thank you. Yeah, no, there's so much here. I, you know, from the, there is. You know, from the obviously there the is. I think there's an important takeaway, and that is what you're doing. What people like you are doing everywhere. And, and the reason that you're being successful is because the public is demanding it. You can't go to a physician's office or dental office and see that they are doing their thing to get educated. They're only starting to become functional because the populate, the lay pop public so is getting educated and they're demanding a response or they're going somewhere else. 15 years ago, you would go to your physician or dentist and whatever they said to do, you did and they were gospel. Now you go to the dentist or physician and say, did you read this? And if they poo-poo the idea, you walk and you go somewhere else. So I think that's a great thing and the word is getting in. I do think yeah. if we get to treating the gut properly and eating a healthy diet and it could be anyone that you want, like you said, alternate and really stimulate and shock the system, but only with healthy food, I think we can cure chronic disease. And there are several functional people that are saying that and writing books about it. And I totally agree. The problem well, is I mean, getting I, people to be proactive. It's true. I, that's good part of my last question. But, you know, with that said, I, I think that, you know, with the gut being the key, and if I can tell you from a group of doctors that I train, we never fix a gut just by giving bacteria. We fix a gut with the strategies that you were talking about yeah. here changing the diet, forcing adaptation. You know, these dietary shifts, as dramatic as the carnivore diet may seem, it takes these dramatic shifts that nature used to make us do. But Correct. when we do it, we force a change in that microbiome through home, you know, through basically adaptation, hormesis, and therefore the diet uh, changes uh, the ecosystem in the gut, uh, the diet change, I should say. So I, I think this is an underlooked thing. I really do. I, I think, you know, I'm one of the lone wolves talking about this, um, but I think it's very critical. And it's, and it's getting out. And I think that's good. And, and the other elements, stress reduction, efficient exercise, yeah. Yeah, you know, sleep, all of these little things that we never right. take into consideration are the big things in our life. And there's not one, one way to do it. And of course the average person wants a pill, take the pill and they're healthy. Yeah. Doesn't work but, that know, way. 
I think this, this is a bigger deal than we think, forcing these big dietary changes like you've done and have been uh, successful. I think so. I think so. Yeah, no doubt. Last question. So yes. rare, I mean, very few people watching or listening to this are in a place or will ever be in a place that you're in. Uh, you know, yes. you're at death's door. You're, you're in that teeter. What would your advice to them, you know, to them be? Because in you know, this state, you learn a lot. What would your advice to them be? You know, if you were on the train tracks and you heard a train coming towards you, would you get off the tracks? Well, most people wouldn't right away. They really want the train to be so close that they can see it and smell the smoke and then jump off the train tracks. That may not be the right method. You need to be proactive. What I would say is if you're in a standard American, eating a standard American diet, get rid of the toxic foods and get on a healthy diet. And if you have a practitioner that you can um, consult with, make sure that you know how to restore your gut because I would say well into the 80 to 90% of the population has dysbiosis, meaning an unbalanced, unhealthy proportion yeah of gut bacteria because of the foods that we're eating and every, everything else in our lifestyle, we need to get that in place. I think those two items, that's not everything, but that if you can get the diet right and get the gut right, you will be well off to being proactive and you'll never know that you're preventing yourself from getting the disease I have because you'll never have it. But, and you'll feel good though, but you have to deal with your peers and you know, the party oh. and, and the cakes and cookies and pizza and beer and all the stuff that you think is the way to have fun, that's not necessarily the way to have fun. You may be able to cheat occasionally, but you really need to get a mindset into a healthy diet, healthy lifestyle, and a healthy gut. That's what I would like to say. Yep. Thank you, Dr. Al. And read your book and, uh, too, right? That's it. I have a book too. I had a book uh, that was published in 2017 called Crazy Good Living. It's kind of, you know, it's all part of what we're trying to get out there for people to to understand awesome well we'll put a link to that and uh thanks we we appreciate you coming on cell tv dr al you have a lot of great things thank you thank you have a great neat night <laughs> i will see you soon well that's it for this week i hope you enjoyed today's episode which was brought to you by fastonic molecular hydrogen please check it out at getfastonic.com we'll be back next week and every friday at 10 a.m eastern we truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at CellularHealing.tv and please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, or sharing the show with anyone who may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.